what happens, Troy, when we build bike grids and separated lanes for cyclists? Uh, motorists come to a standstill and all commerce in the city halts immediately. This week, council is picking a route. The center LRT turns out to be less of a circulator and more of a couple lines here and there, and council is walking back playground zones. Maybe. This one is council's fault, though. Council also tries to get a heads up when admin releases big reports, sure to get big media attention, and both Yimby and Nimbies show up at the Southside Bike Committee. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to episode two of Speaking Municipally. We had great feedback on episode one and we're really happy. So if none of you show up to episode two, we'll be really sad and that will be your fault. So this week we're recording on Tuesday because Mac is not as committed to this podcast as me and is going (laughs) away with his family on vacation. I'm going to be away for a few days. Council doesn't give us the meat until later in the week. So but let's get right into it. There's some uh, rapid fire events from the past week. First up, the Talus Dome got dirty, and then it got clean. It started a discussion about the Talus Dome, and should it be moved because vandals dumped a big jar of green paint on it. Spoiler alert, it shouldn't. Next up, we've got the Heritage Festival Barn, which we talked about last week. They were evicted from that because the city wanted to use it for their own purposes, citing safety concerns. Um, But the eviction notice has now been rescinded. And as of Friday afternoon, the city and Heritage Festival have come to an agreement to explore longer-term initiatives, such as a new off-site storage facility. So for now, they're able to use the barn. And finally, we had the first international Flat Earth Conference rolled into town, or rolled on top of a sphere as an elephant might. Uh, Journalists wrote about their opening remarks, which asked for people to mock the Flat Earth Society a little bit less. In those articles, the journalists were very scathing with their mockery. Let's get right into the meat of City Council this week. One of the things that Council discussed this week was a report that came back from administration in response to a query that they had made about how can they get a heads up on items that are coming up at council, especially those big items that might result in a lot of attention, maybe they're a policy shift. Council doesn't like to get blindsided. We learned that last week when they were on holiday. Uh, They want to have a heads up on these things. You and I are both nerds. Uh, We scour Thursday afternoon when the council agendas come up. We both log on and refresh the page before it comes up. And my goal is always to find the juicy tidbit and tweet it before Elise at the journal can. Um, That's potentially what council's trying to avoid. Definitely. They don't want to be caught off guard by a Troy Pavlik tweet. Absolutely <laughs> not. Councillors basically ask that the city consult with each of their offices, find the gaps in where this reporting could go, and work out a solution that gives council the appropriate heads up so that they can, at the very least, read the reports before they start getting media calls. That motion's probably going to come back January or February because they didn't want to distract from budget. But maybe council will be more equipped to respond to citizen inquiries. I think if council's going to get a heads up, I want a heads up. So as you said, agendas come out on Thursday afternoons. Uh, And actually, another report that went back to council this week was in response to notification options to let people know when their favorite topic might be coming up at council. And the report that administration submitted back to council basically said, we've got a world-class open data catalog. We're not going to explore any other notification options as a result. Yeah, it was a weird report, given that the report asked them to explore notification options. And they said, because we have an open data catalog, we're not going to do what you just asked us to do. And this is something as simple as the oft requested by me, by the media, send us an email when council agendas get posted. It doesn't have to include the agendas, 
just let us know that they're there. Think of Troy's F5 key. <laughs> For now, you'll have to rely on Troy's tweets and our council roundup every Friday morning to keep you informed. But there was another big item that came to committee this week, which was the Southside Bike Grid. This was administration putting together the route planning for the connection with the downtown bike grid so that cyclists can get around the city. And this bike grid it proposed a couple additional east-west routes above the 83rd Ave route. So one of the big ones was on 87th Avenue, a protected bike route. The other big item of discussion was whether the north-south route takes 109th Street on the main street or gets relegated to 110th Street instead. Yeah, the reason they propose that it go down 110 instead of 109 is because of the importance of 109th Street to transit and motor vehicles. And importantly, the report didn't actually consider 109 at any point. They simply said routes that were critical to transit and vehicle traffic were not considered for this report. This angered a lot of local cyclists who naturally responded, well, how do we get to places on 109? And they cited reports like the Envision 109 Envision 109 was a study and a consultation with residents on 109 to discover how they'd like to redevelop 109th Street to a main street, which council wants it to be. 57% of respondents said they want space for cycling along 109, and 70% said they would cycle more if there were cycling facilities and it was safer for cycling. Administration's response to this was to say, we're not considering 109. And consultation was an interesting piece of this report, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, it was very surprising to me as a member of the Council Initiative on Public Engagement and someone who's now working on this new guiding coalition to read in, a, in the report, and this is a direct quote, no public engagement was undertaken specifically for the Southside Bike Network feasibility analysis. So they relied entirely on all of the engagement that happened previously. And even if this was to go ahead and to be funded, the report says they wouldn't undertake any new public engagement to ask people what they want or how it should look. They would just do it along the neighborhood renewal process. If you look at the engagement that's already occurred on this, which sort of loudly and conclusively said we want cycling facilities on 109, cycling facilities on 109 isn't just about cyclists. You're a pedestrian and you want cycling facilities. As a downtown resident, I love the new bike grid because walking uh, along the streets, on the sidewalks, the bike lanes offer a little bit of a buffer from all of the vehicles. And that's actually really nice. You don't realize it until you have it. And then once you have it, you realize how nice it is. And on 109th Street, it's such a wide street with so many lanes. A little buffer there would certainly be nice for pedestrians. In 1992, City Council actually passed the new cycling strategy for 1992 before the Lion King came out. Pretty old. It said that all arterials in the city of Edmonton would be built extra wide to accommodate secret bike lanes so that down the road they could install a bike lane on basically any road without any redevelopment. 109th Street is one of those streets. The lanes, especially southbound, uh, you can fit two cars in the curb lane. Right. You could just install a bike lane with no effect on traffic whatsoever, which makes it all the more baffling that administration didn't consider 109 as an option. There were some interesting perspectives on council on this, though, because Iveson, who's naturally been a really big advocate of cycling, he was very reticent to support 109th Street at all. He actually said he would prefer with cycling with his family to be going down 110th Street. Honestly, as a cyclist, and I cycled 25 kilometers today, I think it should go down 110. I get the argument about 109, and I do want to go to those destinations, but 
the plan of if they install a bike corral at every sort of block and I can use that as my feeder route and then lock up my bike, get off and walk the 50, 100 meters, I think I'd prefer that because I don't want to cycle beside traffic. That, of course, only works if there's a bike corral at every block. Otherwise, you need to have an app to find bike parking. And this was a little bit of the YIMBY that was at council, right? People saying, well, we want to be able to get to these businesses along 109th Street via bike. Another thing that Iveson said was in Chicago, it's legal, actually, if you're on the sidewalk with your bike, but at a walking pace to get to that last, I guess it's not a last mile when you're cycling, that last meter to, yeah. to the business. Andrew Knack mentioned at council that supporting this route selection doesn't mean you support the bike grid itself. It has to go to budget, Mac's favorite topic, and council gets to choose whether they support giving it money at that point in time. And the estimate for this, which would add another 5.2 kilometers to the Southside Bike Network after what's already scheduled to be built in 2018, uh, the estimate was $5.8 million subject to planning and design. So we could trick it out and it might cost more than that. Or we, it could cost less. The downtown bike grid came in substantially under budget. Correct. What happens, Troy, when we build bike grids and separated lanes for cyclists? Uh, motorists come to a standstill and all commerce in the city halts immediately. I think what you meant to say is more people cycle. That's true. In fact, the downtown bike grid we've seen, summer cycling has increased over 75% year over year. Consistently, each data point we're getting for the downtown bike grid is higher than the candidate day peak of last year's bike grid. If you build it, they will come because they're already out there. They're just on unsafe roads. Time to make more cycling routes. Next up, we're going to talk about the center LRT. This is this magical circular LRT network that would connect downtown and old Strathcona, which is one of my favorite topics to complain about because it is far too difficult to get from downtown to old Strathcona on the bus or any of the transit options that are currently available to us. Gondola. No gondolas. Uh, but what we have here with council is not actually a circle, but a series of lines that might one day be connected, maybe. So the route selection, they selected White Ave as the south side route. So it's going to go from Bonnie Dune to 109 Street, where it terminates. The reason they did this is because initially we were going to cross the river and make it this nice, graceful circle. We can't go over the high level bridge because it's covered in rust and it'll fall over. We can't go over the Menzies Bridge, the current LRT bridge, because it's high floor LRT and the new one's going to be low floor LRT. And administration seemed to suggest we were going to build a third bridge right in the middle of those two bridges. That's a lot of money. And a lot of bridges. The thing people often don't understand about the center LRT, the time before construction is measured in decades. We have an LRT going north. We have an LRT going to West Edmonton Mall. These are all before the center LRT, which has no funding whatsoever. And there are presumably other options that could be explored in the interim. And looking a couple of decades out, who knows how we'll all be getting around the city. Trains might be out of fashion by then. Well, and Andrew Knack mentioned that a couple times. He inexplicably is really hammering home this driverless train technology that came out of China. Right. Which is a bus that can see a piece of paint on the road. Lots of little sensors and cameras. This is... It's a council fad, and we've seen it last year as well. We've seen the journal covering, oh, we're going to put a maglev over the high-level bridge because it's a new and flashy technology. Trains aren't going anywhere. At the end of the day, buses are very cumbersome to operate. They're uncomfortable to use. Anyone in Edmonton will tell you, I'll prefer to take the train over the bus. 
How we get more people on public transit is by making more of the transit choice that people prefer to use. And that's the train. I mean, I like the idea of better connecting downtown and White Avenue, but I'm finding it really hard to get excited about Center LRT because it's just so far in the future. It's so unfinished. Like, we don't even have a complete circle here to consider. There are many other transportation problems we're going to deal with first. I'm just not that excited about Center LRT right now. It comes down to the end result of any discussion in Edmonton infrastructure. But what about the parking? Council said today the road is a 30 meter right of way. LRT might take up a third of that. And administration said it's going to be a competition between street trees, parking and travel lanes for what gets kept. And I know what's going to get cut down. The big item coming up, and I'll be speaking to council on this, playground zones. Now, this is something that's plagued Edmonton for a long time, since 2014 when we installed school zones. Essentially, what happened here is during the election, Michael Walters he said, look, we need to reevaluate these playground zones. I'm getting a lot of complaints. Councillor Cartmel, he jumped on it. He made a motion a couple of months ago that said, we need to evaluate playground zones using the Alberta infrastructure guideline for playground and school areas. Now, this is sort of a departure from how council typically operates because he's asking for specific evaluation with this specific guideline by another order of government. Rather than saying to administration, we'd like to solve this problem, go away, figure it out, come back with a recommendation. Because of note, administration already did that. Right. And they chose to install playgrounds. We have 406 playground zones. The result of this evaluation is that of the 163 standalone playground zones, 68 of them will be removed. So that means the speed limit goes back from 30 kilometers per hour to 50 kilometers per hour. There's some interesting schools on that list. I think the most comedic one on that list is Old Scona High School, the road directly in front of it, which council has directed administration to design that entire neighborhood for a road design speed of 30 kilometers an hour. The report suggests, according to this guideline, we should raise that road to 50 kilometers an hour because it doesn't qualify for this reduced limit in the zone. The interesting thing about all of this is... They didn't look at schools. It's because all the schools would have failed. This guideline is very prescriptive in that... The Alberta guideline. The Alberta guideline is very prescriptive in that school and playground zones are not to be made, are not to be used to make crossing the roadway safer. They're not to be used to make it safer to walk to school. The only narrow preventative measure that they're installed for is if a car flips onto the field and crushes a kid or if a kid's chasing a ball and he runs out in the roadway. Presumably this guideline was put into place long before anyone started looking at Vision Zero. It was updated in 2007. So yes and no. They should have known better, but Vision Zero wasn't really a thing. But if you evaluate schools, according to the guideline, any elementary school that has a fence and has sidewalks does not qualify for a school zone. These are points assigned under this guideline. Yeah, yeah. Under the guideline, you need 80 points to get a school zone. Just by having a fence and having sidewalks on both sides of the road, you're under the 80 points already. So if administration had evaluated these school zones, we would have lost every school zone while we're touting the huge reductions that school zones bring. But I do see the playground zone as an important thing for two reasons. It's 
a tool that we have to be able to make progress on vision zero. And if we're really serious about getting the number of deaths down to zero, we needed more tools in our toolbox. And playground zones are one of the ones that we have. The other thing for me is I see it as a stepping stone toward lower speed limits across the board in residential areas, which I'm in favor of. And it kind of feels like two steps forward, one step back again. I'd like us to be able to keep the 406 playground zones that we have because I think it makes that discussion about lower speed limits everywhere else in residential areas a much easier one to have. I think playground zones are really stupid as a fundamental concept because I've said this before. A playground zone says your kid is only safe when he's at the playground. But how does he get to the playground? Do you have to drive your kid to the playground for him to be safe? What we really need is a comprehensive set of tools of traffic safety. And at Edmonton, we've hamstrung ourselves. We've said we don't care about speed limits this year. Uh, and we've said any crosswalks, 600 of them, need to be funded exclusively from photo radar, which will take a couple of decades to install. This is the last tool in our toolbox. And by stipulating a provincial guideline that removes and basically destroys our last tool in the toolbox, we are now out of things to combat unsafe traffic in our city. And to me, it's really unusual that the city would want to use a provincial guideline because usually what happens is the province sets the baseline. This is the minimum that you need to do. And then as a municipality, you can go above and beyond that. And in many cases, that's what Edmonton tries to do. That's why we've been fighting for the big city charter. We want the ability to set our own rules about some of these things that are important to our community. Traffic safety has got to be one of those things. It's really bizarre that we wouldn't have more stringent rules and try to use every tool that we can to make our streets as safe as possible. Consent is very important. So Mac, do I have your unending and unequivocal consent to use your voice however I choose for any purpose I choose? For episode two, <laughs> yes. A uh, little less unequivocal than I'd hoped. We recorded this episode on Tuesday and I had Mac record me a small soundboard of reactions just in case I needed them to tell an additional story. Well, I spoke to council about playground zones and I do have an additional story to tell. Tell me, Troy, what did you say at council this week? I'm glad you asked, ghost of Max past. So I spoke to council today on a day when the air quality was worse than Hong Kong at rush hour. Maybe the smoky, gravelly nature of my voice added an additional credence to the severity of my comments, and that's why they listened. We'll consider even releasing the content of my comments to council and their questions as a bonus episode, maybe, once the audio is released. In speaking to council, I drove home a few main points about playground zones. The first, that the guidelines aren't even removing the zones that councillors want removed. They're hitting a lot of zones as collateral damage. The obvious one being Old Scona, where we're supposed to design that neighborhood for 30 kilometers an hour, but instead we're increasing the speed to 50 kilometers an hour. Ben Henderson really got a kick out of that one. The second was that playground zones are an ineffective and unrecommended tool to make streets around playgrounds safe. That comes from the guidelines and common sense. The third is that playground zones are really all we have left in terms of increasing traffic safety in our neighborhood because council has taken all the other options off the table for one reason or the other, at least right now. And I found a sympathetic ear on council. Most of them were quite surprised at some of the results of the evaluation and some of the things on the list. One counselor who wasn't so surprised might have been John D. for Ward 3, who was present for the item we were talking about just before, but as soon as we started talking about traffic safety, uh, got out of that room pretty quick, and as such, his voice wasn't really heard in the debate. Overall, it was a success. 
Council is going to back off using the Alberta Transportation Guidelines and will work on developing their own City of Edmonton Guidelines for playground zones. Hang on, Troy. I don't get this. And if I don't get this, nobody else does. Take a step back. Explain that to me again. What the councillors really wanted from this motion and what they were trying to get at is just to remove a couple problem playground zones within their wards. This is something that most of us can understand. There are some places where playground zones didn't really make sense. The one that always resonates with me, and I remember quite clearly, is the playground zone on Wagner Road by the high school. On a curve, it jumped down to 30 kilometers an hour. It didn't make sense, and that zone got removed. Councillors know there's a few of these zones in their wards, and they wanted them removed. Knack was very explicit that there's just one in his ward, and he wants it to be rethought. So the motion instructs administration to consult with each councillor's office and report back in three months with some engineering guidance and a proposed bylaw amendment to remove the particular anomalous playground zones. Oh my god, Troy, what just happened? At least for now, the 30 kilometer hour limit is going to stick around in a lot of places. That motion will come back three months from now and we'll see how the debate goes then. That'll wrap it up for our episode two I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like it, subscribe. Give us a rating on iTunes. If you really do like it, a five-star review on iTunes, that really shows you like it. Four stars? Yeah, we'll take it. One star? Are you sure you're thinking about this right? I think you're thinking of another podcast. If you head over to taprootedmonton.ca, you can check out our roundups. We now cover council, media, the fringe. We've got a music one. Lots of information about what's going on in and around Edmonton every single week. Uh, the council roundup is, if you're listening to this podcast, probably of particular interest. We go through the agendas in minutes so that you don't have to. It's kind of your crib sheet for the week ahead at what council is going to be discussing. Until next time, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.